Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has given us. Now, on today's program, we take a look at how Christian colleges are dealing with the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. Also on today's program, popular pastor David Jeremiah was recently inducted into the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. But his induction came despite lingering questions about financial improprieties at his ministry. We'll have all that and a whole lot more on today's edition of the Ministry Watch podcast. We begin today's program with Wycliffe Associates. Yeah, Wycliffe Associates is one of the charter members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, but they voluntarily resigned from that organization uh, in late February while under review for compliance with a couple of the standards, Standard 7.1 and 7.2 of the ECFA. Now, Standard 7.1 of the ECFA says that when a ministry is securing charitable gifts, all representations of fact, descriptions of the financial condition of the organization, or narratives about events must be current, complete, and accurate. And Standard 7.2 says that statements about the use of gifts by an organization must be honored. A giver's intent relates to both what was communicated in the appeal and to any instructions accompanying that gift. Appeals for charitable gifts can't create unrealistic expectations for what a gift will actually accomplish. Now, Warren, you mentioned that the Wycliffe Associates were... Uh, one of the original members of the ECFA. So their resignation after 40 years of membership is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. The Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability began in 1979 as an attempt to ward off the government regulation of Christian ministries and to codify standards, and I mentioned a couple of those standards, uh, for Christian ministry operation. Now, according to Dan Busby, Wycliffe Associates was one of about 150 charter members of the organization. Now the ECFA has more than 2,400 members. Now, Wycliffe Associates has been in involved in Bible translation for a long time. It was founded in 1967, and it began in association with Wycliffe Bible Translators, but it received its own separate 501c3 status about 25 years ago, and it's now a completely separate organization. Uh, In the early 2000s, the organization petitioned the Internal Revenue Service to reclassify itself as a church, so it hasn't released Form 990s to the public since 2007. Uh, But we know because of audited financial statements that Wycliffe Associates has about $50 million in revenue, just under that. Fundraising and management expenses totaled about $9.2 million, which is about 19% of its total budget. So are there any troubles at Wycliffe Associates? Well, you know, troubles, I I don't know. But Wycliffe Associates' withdrawal from the ECFA uh, after it was under review uh, comes about four years after it withdrew from 
from the Wycliffe Global Alliance. Uh, the Wycliffe Global Alliance is a partnership of more than 100 Bible translation missions organizations. And as I said a, just a moment or two ago, uh, Natasha, they no longer file their Form 990s. Uh, so we really don't know what's going on inside of Wycliffe Associates. Uh, in fiscal year 2016, the year after it introduced MAST, which stands for Mobilized Assistance Supporting Translation, its annual revenue was around $30 million, but at that time its fundraising and management costs approached $10 million, which was a full third of its total income. The claims that are being made by Wycliffe Associates regarding the capabilities of MAST caused a dramatic growth in fundraising, but it is also appears to be some of those claims the reason that the ECFA had Wycliffe Associates under review. Next up today is an update on the coronavirus. Or in last week, we talked about how the coronavirus or COVID-19 virus, more accurately, has affected the stock market and how um, that could influence Christian giving and, and Christian ministries. But today, uh, there's some specific consequences, and we're now seeing this happen in uh, Christian colleges taking action. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Um, The number of confirmed coronavirus cases continues to climb, of course, across the country. Uh, Christian colleges and universities are formulating responses to limit the spread of what has now become a worldwide disease. Uh, Faced with the threat of on-campus outbreaks, many colleges are shutting their physical doors, but opening their virtual doors. Uh, Campus events and athletics are being curtailed. Uh, You know, Natasha, the news on this is changing almost by the minute. I know you and I are recording on Thursday, and they just announced that March Madness, the NCAA championship uh, tournament, has been uh, shut down. So even as uh, I'm sharing this with you today or sharing this with our listeners today, we might discover just literally in 48 or 72 hours that uh, this uh, information has been outdated. But uh, I will say this, that in New York City, where there have been 52 cases of the virus confirmed, the King's College announced on Tuesday that it was going to close its campus through at least the end of March. Classes will resume remotely after spring break with faculty and staff working from home. Campus housing will remain open, uh, but they're asking folks that travel internationally to self-quarantine for 14 days after returning. So the King's College, because it's in New York, has the special challenge, but what about other schools? Yeah, this is the latest that we know right now. Two of the largest Christian colleges in the country have chosen to keep their campuses open. That's Grand Canyon University in Arizona and uh, Liberty University in Virginia, though Liberty has canceled all school-sponsored international travel, including their study abroad program, until the fall of 2020. But on-campus classes and events are moving forward as planned at Liberty, and that's despite the fact that neighboring colleges like the University of Virginia, Virginia Tech, and the College of William and Mary are switching completely to remote classes. Now, out in California, Biola University, which is in a uh, Orange County, a southern suburb of Los Angeles, is not shutting down, but its leadership is enacting what they call social distancing measures, including canceling chapels, limiting campus events to about 150 attendees, and canceling school-related air travel. There are about 191 confirmed cases in California, according to the New York Times, and at least nine of California state universities are moving their classes online. Wheaton College in Illinois 
Illinois is also extending its spring break by a week. School President Phil Riken asked that students return home for the rest of the semester, and they're going to do all of their classes online. And while we're on the subject of the coronavirus, the Southern Baptists have also taken steps to protect the short-term volunteer missionaries. Yeah, the Southern Baptist Convention's International Missions Board released a statement on Monday uh, recommending that churches hold off on any overseas travel through at least April 30th. The IMB, International Missions Board, said that the recommendation will be reevaluated by April the 15th. In its statement, the IMB urged mission volunteers to postpone travel and suggested that those who have not yet purchased tickets wait and monitor continued risk of travel before buying tickets. Now, meanwhile, the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee issued its own statement on the coronavirus over the weekend that said that its staff are monitoring the news-related events uh, on the virus and will make a decision about the June 9th and 10th annual convention of the Southern Baptist Church in Orlando. The executive committee had planned a conference call with SBC representatives from Monday to discuss the best practices and prevention strategies as well as to join in prayer for our churches, communities, and our country. And that's a huge conference. It's less than 100 days away. Yeah, it is. And uh, by the way, the IMB recommends that everyone follow the Centers for Disease Control's travel guidelines, the U.S. State Department travel guidelines, and of course, it'll continue to add updates to its coronavirus response webpage. And wanted to mention that we've got a link to all three of those webpages at the Ministry Watch website, ministrywatch.com. One more quick coronavirus story, and this one involves Jim Baker. (laughs) Yeah, televangelist Jim Baker has been warned by the New York Attorney General's office to immediately stop promoting a product that he sold on his program and on the program's website as a cure for the coronavirus. Uh, The Attorney General sent Baker a cease and desist letter to stop advertising uh, what they're calling a silver solution at jimbakershow.com after a guest on his program, a naturopathic doctor named uh, Cheryl Selman claimed that the solution killed COVID-19 virus, even though the product hasn't even been tested for the COVID-19 virus. Uh, He's selling this product for $80 for four tubes or $125 for a variety pack. Now, some of you may remember Jim Baker, certainly our listeners, uh, Natasha, of a certain age because of the PTL and Heritage USA scandal back in the 80s. But Jim Baker set up shop in Branson, Missouri, and continues to peddle his um, wares, shall we say. Uh, Since the New York Attorney General's warning, both the Federal Trade Commission and the Food and Drug Administration have also issued warnings against Jim Baker. Now, before we head to break, you have news about a new leader at Bread for the World. Yeah, Bread for the World is a prominent Christian advocacy group that's dedicated to ending hunger, and it's elected Seattle pastor and author Reverend Eugene Cho as its new president. Uh, Gene Cho will be replacing the Reverend David Beckman, who's a Lutheran minister, who's been at that ministry for a long time, nearly 30 years since 1991. Cho is an ordained minister within the Evangelical Covenant Church, and he's received acclaim in his career uh, for founding with his wife, 
many, Quest Church in Seattle. That church has grown dramatically. He was there for about 18 years uh, before stepping down from the pastorate in 2018 and founding an organization called One Day's Wages. That's a nonprofit that is attempting to eliminate extreme poverty worldwide. But I should say that Eugene Cho will face some big challenges at Bread for the World. The organization faces questions from watchdog groups concerning how it spends its money and the amount of money it spends on fundraising. Cho will likely have to spend as much time lobbying its donors to stick with it as it will lobbying Congress to provide more money for the poor. Warren, we've got to take a little break, but when we return, updates on a story we've been covering for the past few weeks, the story involving the Christian Post. I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Warren, up next is the story I promised before the break, and this is the story of the Christian Post. Yeah, you know, media have been an important part of controversial South Korean religious leader David Yang's strategy for building what he calls the kingdom of heaven here on earth. His followers uh, would create what they call righteous media to spread uh, the words of God in this era. That's a, a quote from something he said in 2002. But the means and methods that Yang's disciples have used to keep the Christian Post and the UK version of the Christian Post, Christian Today, uh, on the air and on the web have uh, caused some to uh, ask questions. In fact, they're saying that those methods might be illegal or at least unethical, and a string of guilty pleas by key executives uh, seems to confirm that. Last week, we talked about the guilty pleas of some of those executives, in fact. And now you say you've got a lot more. Yeah, uh, our reporter, Steve Raby, one of our Colorado Springs-based reporters, has covered this story for us, and he noticed that there was a lot of information sort of out there in disparate locations about the Christian Post and David Yang that no one had bothered to bring together into a coherent story. He's done that, and it's a fascinating tale of how Yang used a complicated series of companies, some real companies, such as the Christian Post, but some appear to be completely made up to move money around pay salaries, often with money millions of dollars that were borrowed from banks by using fabricated financial statements. Warren, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this story is how these companies had infiltrated themselves into the evangelical Christian world. 
Yeah, they have, um, and that's a part of Steve Raby's reporting, too. Johnny Moore, for example, an advisor to President Trump uh, and formerly at Liberty University for many years, has been on the advisory board of the Christian Post for years. Richard Land is the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and he's the former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's the Post's executive editor. Now, I've talked to Land about the fraud at the Christian Post, and he maintains that he had no knowledge of it. I've also talked to Nap Nasworth, the former editor of the Christian Post, who resigned because he thought the Post was too supportive of President Trump. And he says that he also had no knowledge of financial impropriety. So I want to make clear that these men and others on the advisory board, including some women, uh, Penny Nance, for example, who's the president of Concerned Women for America, have not been implicated in any way in the wrongdoing. But their names are now associated with an organization that has been involved in a massive fraud. Now, Warren, you keep on using the word fraud, and that seems pretty strong. Yeah, it is, but that's the word the Manhattan District Attorney used. Uh, the DA's February 14th press release called the scheme that uh, William Anderson and others that were, William Anderson was the president of the Christian Post, were involved with, he called it a massive fraud scheme through which a group of sophisticated criminals illegally moved tens of millions through our Manhattan marketplace by brazenly overstating the financial health of their companies. Now, those are not my words. Those are the words of the Manhattan District Attorney. Now, Yang's companies didn't merely launder money. They actually laundered web traffic as well. Yeah, a damning 2018 expose by BuzzFeed News tells how researchers at a tech firm called Double Verify found that Yang-related websites used malignant codes to fraudulently overstate viewer traffic. And, of course, that would generate greater advertising revenue because a lot of these advertisers were paying for the traffic that they were getting, sort of paying by the click, often at the expense of competing media outlets that told the truth about their web traffic and had to charge lower rates. In fact, the Christian Post has long claimed to be the number one religion spirituality website in the world. But now that claim appears to have been overstated based on these overstated numbers about web traffic, according to Double Verify. They identified the malicious code on the Christian Post website and on eight other websites owned by Christian Media Corporation, the parent company, one of Yang's organizations. That is a bizarre story. And there's a lot more to it that we can't cover here. But to read Steve Raby's stories, you can go and read them on ministrywatch.com. Now, Warren, we have to take another break. But when we return, a story about one of the most popular radio and TV preachers in the country, David Jeremiah. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. 
For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast, where we unpack stories of Christian ministries in the news, along with other items of interest to help you be a more effective financial steward. Now, Warren, up next on the program is a story that you've been following for a decade or more, and that's the story of David Jeremiah, the pastor of San Diego's Shadow Mountain Church and one of the most popular radio and TV preachers in the country. Yeah, on the evening of February 28, just a couple of weeks ago, the final uh, night of the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville, one of uh, religious broadcasting's best-known figures, David Jeremiah, as you've already uh, identified, took the stage. In, in something of a triumphant return for him. He was being inducted into the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. This is a pretty exclusive club, Natasha. It has less than 90 members, and they include men like Billy Graham, Chuck Colson, Jerry Falwell, and uh, women, of course, as well, like Johnny Erickson Tata. It's easily the highest honor that a Christian broadcaster can receive. And in accepting the honor, David Jeremiah talked about his early days days in broadcasting, doing college radio at Cedarville University in Ohio. And he closed with an appeal for the folks present to support the National Religious Broadcasters itself. After mentioning that he'd been coming to NRB meetings for nearly 50 years, he added, it's important that we become ardent supporters of NRB. What we do is more important than it has ever been. And as I said, his appearance seemed to mark sort of a triumphant return for David Jeremiah because for many years, uh, the NRB required that its members also be members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. But David Jeremiah's uh, Turning Point Ministries lost its ECFA membership in 2010, and it had to therefore step down from its membership in the NRB as well. ECFA President Dan Busby said that the organization had a policy of not giving reasons for an organization's resignation, but a former chief financial officer for David Jeremiah, a man named George Hale, said that it was because David Jeremiah and Turning Point Ministries had been involved in a book-buying scheme, the same book-buying scheme that had brought down Mark Driscoll and Morris Hill Church. George Hale called that practice deceptive and unethical. It violated the ECFA standards, and that's why he had to leave both the ECFA and the National Religious Broadcasters. But he's obviously back, so what changed? Well, they changed the rules. Uh, Though David Jeremiah's Turning Point Ministries voluntarily resigned its membership in the ECFA while it was under review, um, and as I said, Busby makes a practice of not saying why an organization will resign. It was pretty obvious to everybody involved that that was the reason. So in 2015, the NRB just simply changed the rules that you no longer had to be a member of the ECFA in order to be a member of the NRB. It's not clear that they did this just for David Jeremiah, but I will say that it was embarrassing to the NRB that one of the largest religious broadcasters in the country didn't meet the ethical standards for membership. So the rule change, whether it was done for David Jeremiah or not, did allow him to rejoin the NRB. And of course, as I said this year, they made him a member of the Hall of Fame. So do you have any idea how much money was involved in this? 
Well, George Hale said that the book buying scheme um, involved millions of dollars. Uh, he told me in an interview, I never saw a contract between David Jeremiah and a book publisher, but I did see an advance check made out to David for $3 million on a multi-book deal. Well, can you explain what's wrong with that? I mean, if the book is popular and it's making a lot of money, shouldn't you benefit from that? Well, yeah, but a key reason that David Jeremiah's books sold so well is because he has this huge radio and television audience that he's built with donor money. Uh, David Jeremiah's ministry spends about $20 million a year buying time from Christian radio and television stations. That money comes from donors who listen to the radio or watch the TV stations and support the ministry. For David Jeremiah to use the money to then buy books that pay him royalties violates the ethical standards of the ECFA and may in fact be illegal because it creates what the law calls private enormment, which is just a fancy way of saying that it creates excess compensation for David Jeremiah himself. Well, Warren, we're getting to the end of our time today, but can you remind us how to find the financial information about Christian Ministries on the Ministry Watch website? Yeah, just go to ministrywatch.com and you can look for the bright red search for a ministry button at the top of the page. Uh, We have financial information and our own financial efficiency rating for the 500 largest Christian ministries in the country including Turning Point Ministries, Bread for the World, Wycliffe Associates. Those are the three ministries that we mentioned on today's program. Yeah, and as we reported last week, Ministry Watch is now tracking changes to the membership status of uh, members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We think the ECFA is an important part of the ministry ecosystem in this country, and donors should know who joins, but more importantly, who leaves. And we'll be bringing that information to you each and every week as part of my weekly review column, which we publish every Friday. And if you want to know more about the stories we discussed today, or if you want to dig into the Ministry Watch archives and see the hundreds of stories that we have on there, go to ministrywatch.com. That brings us to the close of today's program. Our producers are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Sean Hendricks, Warren Smith, Ann Stike, and Steve Raby. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next week, may God bless you.